Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the first ever Speed Mooting podcast. My name is John Dove, and I am the founder of the National Speed Mooting Competition, and I'm also a senior Crown Prosecutor with the CPS. This is our first ever podcast, and the idea of this is for you to come along and watch these podcasts, which will feature, so we'll have everyone from students all the way through to silks, and we'll cover different topics in every single podcast. Now, given that this is the first ever podcast, I thought that we'd have two very special guests. So tonight we have the 2019 National Speed Mooting Competition Champion, Aria Sabrizi, and the 2020 National Speed Mooting Competition Champion, Robert Allen. Welcome to you both. Thanks, John. Thank you. So I think we'll start with some introductions. So Aria, would you like to introduce yourself to our guests? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so my name's Aria Tabrizi. I started my LLB uh, as a mature student, age 26, uh, MMU. I did the part-time degree. Um, I'm now closer to 31 than I care to admit. Um, and I'm doing the, the bar course at BPP Manchester. Um, as John said, was lucky enough to win the 2019 competition. Um, and I've also secured pupillage at King's Chambers in Manchester um, doing PI in Clinic. Thank you. And Robert, would you like to introduce yourself? So I'm Robert Allen. Just like Aria, I am on the bar course at the BPP Manchester. I also did my GDL there last year, so they're very well represented by both of us. Um, I was very fortunate to win the uh, 2020 speed mooting competition, which was probably just about the last moot, perhaps anywhere in the world, before we all went into lockdown. So very lucky to be in person for that. Um, since then, I've, as a member of the Middle Temple, I've been elected mooting officer, uh, and so mooting has become quite a big part of my life. Thank you. As Robert says, we were very lucky to have that moot just a few weeks before we got locked down. I was, I was doing the mental maths then, actually, in my head. I was thinking, yeah, that would have been a, a real borderline one. It was a close shave. Yeah. Very, very close. I think we were about four weeks before lockdown, weren't we? <laughs> very fortunate and how, how different the world was back then. Yeah. Yeah. So I think given that you've um, both won mooting competitions, I think it's best that we start by talking about mooting. So would you each like to talk about your mooting experience leading up to today? So we'll start with Aria on this. What is your experience of mooting previously? Uh, I mean, significant, to be honest with you, um, in, in, in the quantity. Um, so we, we did a, the first moot I did was part of our taught law course at university. Um, which sort of maybe five, seven minutes of delivery. Um, you got sort of tested on etiquette, I think, and, and content more than anything. Um, and uh, and it, that sort of ignited, well, actually that ignited my interest in the bar more generally as well. Um, and from there, I applied for the teams at university. Um, so I was on the teams for two years. I did the Essex Court moot, got to like the fourth round, and I did the OUP, got to the third round. A bit bitter about that one, but we won't go into that. Um, uh, and then the year after, uh, was lucky enough to be, uh, got to the final of the internal MMU move, was in the Supreme Court in front of Lady Hale, which was uh, an absolute honour and, and perhaps the best advocacy lesson of my entire life. Um, and then the, uh, I mean, obviously we talk, already talked about the speed move, winning it, which is a highlight. Um, and then also reached the semis of the, of the Two Temple Gardens move. Um, so, I mean, I was pretty much muting from first year onwards, every year, at least one competition. 
Very impressive there. Quite the CV that you've got when it comes to Musingara. And uh, Robert, how about yourself? (laughs) Well, I have to admit I'm much more of a newbie than Aria. Uh, My first moot was the speed moot in February. Um, So it was part of my GDL year. Didn't know that I was going to come to law before, really quite soon before taking the GDL. So that was my first go at it, went pretty well, as, as I say, so very fortunate about that. Um, and then from there, it's just been building up experience. Recently, I've uh, been um, invited to join as part of the uh, William P. Viss Moot competition uh, for 2021 for the Middle Temples. So that's quite a long team process trying to gather all the research at the moment for the memorandums. Um, but yes, it's, I'm quite new to mooting in that respect. It's only really since February that all of this has started to happen. So hopefully, testament that you can get into it quite quickly and build up some experience. That's great to hear, actually, because when I started the speed meeting competition, the idea was that it should be open to experienced mooters and new mooters alike. And the fact that the two of you who are polar opposites when it comes to your experience have both won the competition one year after the next really speaks volumes that this competition is open to absolutely anyone and anybody has a chance regardless of how experienced you are. And this leads me on to the next question, which is how do you prepare for mooting competitions? So I'll start with you, Robert, given that you've got uh, slightly less experience when it comes to mooting. Well, it so depends on the style of the competition. Something like the speed moot is obviously very different to um, a longer team moot where there's plenty of preparation to be done, lots of reading in advance. So it depends on what sort of materials there are in front of you. Um, I remember, just as an example, with the speed moot again back in February, um, that that was a case of staying up until the early or even the mid hours of, of the morning. I think it was three o'clock, just reading the papers and making sure that I knew exactly uh, what the facts were and what was going to be relevant. It doesn't all need to go into your skeleton or into your submissions. You don't need to plan to say everything. But being able to know your stuff is, it cannot be understated. It will be said by everybody. But just knowing the facts is crucial. So reading those papers again and again and just being comfortable with whatever amount of information you're having to deal with is the only way around it. There's no, there's no shortcuts to this. Excellent. And how about you, Aria? How do you prepare for a moot? Uh, I mean, I'd agree with everything that Rob's just said. To borrow his phrase, being comfortable with your papers is 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 key. And it really is being comfortable. It's not going over them once or twice um, or, or sort of rote learning them. It's really internalising, you know, what's the case about um, and, and what's, what's the thrust of the main argument. Um, and I think if you do that, if you get to that fairly quickly, I'm of the belief that the rest kind of falls into place a little bit. Um, and everyone will differ and have different styles then. But if, if you get to the, if you really internalize what the facts are about, what's the complaint um, and what's the thrust of the legal argument, um, then I, I think you, you, you're 90% of the way there. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Preparation is key. And when you know the case inside and out, it really helps you when you come to um, present that moot in court. And there really is no uh, alternative for practice. You have to practice, practice, practice. And by that, you know, it's not really about having a speech. You can use your no. skeleton arguments as the um, the foundation yeah. for what you're going to say. But as long as you practice that those submissions a few times, um, then, then you should be well prepared. Mm. And that, that brings me on to the next point, really, because one of the most important parts of a moot is judicial intervention. 
so you can prepare for your submissions, but you don't really know what questions are going to come. Or if you prepare for the moot, well, you shouldn't have a good idea of, of where the weaknesses lie with your argument. Yeah. Um, so how do you deal with judicial intervention? I'll start with Aria. I love judicial intervention. <laughs> a lot of people don't seem to. Um, but again, I think if you're comfortable with your papers, you perhaps, the more comfortable you are, the more comfortable you are with, um, with judicial intervention. I think the best piece of advice I ever got in relation to that was quite early on from our mooting tutor at uni. And he, he said, look, you've got to treat this as a dialogue um, with the judge. You've got to go in with that mindset already mm -hmm. um, before they've even asked you a question. Um, in a way, it's kind of like if you were sat here at the desk discussing a legal problem with me, you know, how would you approach it in that sense? It'd be back and forth and you wouldn't be put off by that because that's what you want. You want back and forth. Mm -hmm. um, there's a problem and the two of you together are trying to figure out what the problem is. The, the only slight difference is you're trying to steer the judge into thinking that it is what you want him to think it is. Um, so I think if, if you approach it in that way, and again, it's like you said before, don't have a don't have a speech. It's the worst thing you can do, because um, then it throws you off completely. But if you approach it as a dialogue and you're just trying to work out the answer together, then suddenly I don't think judicial intervention is is anywhere near as scary. No, I agree. And Robert, how about you? How do you deal with judicial intervention? Well, it's difficult, isn't it? I think the main thing to try and remember is to help the judge. It's very tempting to see the judge, particularly when you're nervous, you're feeling intimidated by them. Perhaps they're looking a bit grumpy. They're staring at you either through a screen or across. Always them. looking grumpy. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Steely-eyed. But, but try, try the very best you can to help them. If they're asking you a question, it's an easy indicator of what their concern is with what you're saying. They might be hinting at something that they're particularly feeling is going to decide uh, this case. So go straight to it. Don't try and move away from it. Don't take the, the sort of dodgy politician's view of trying to avoid the question at all costs and stick to your script. If you do have some submissions prepared, take the judge to the point in the submissions that you can then answer the question. I think one thing which I've seen a little bit, which doesn't go down well, is if you say, well, my Lord, uh, I'm coming to that in five minutes. So if your lordship's patient will get there and then just bat it away. It's not yeah. going to work. You've got to be prepared, be flexible, move straight to that point, say something like, you know, I wasn't going to come to that yet, but I will now I'll address that point quickly uh, and then try. So try and help the judge. Don't see them as your enemy, even if they might be. <laughs> Absolutely. As you say, I, I think you hit the, the nail on the head there. If the judge is asking you a question, that's what their real concern is. That's what they want to know about. So deal with it straight away. If you try and bat it off, then it's it's never going to be successful at all. And what, one other thing that we came to there was skeleton arguments. So do you have any pointers for students when it comes to skeleton arguments at all? Start with Robert on this question. Well, as that old tip about trying to write your skeleton argument and deliver your submissions as your dream judgment, I think that's always a good way of, of starting the approach, just to try and imagine what is it that you want the judge to say in their concluding remarks and then try and write it in that sort of a format. Um, keep things simple. Don't get too bogged down, I would say, in, in a, an academic approach of quoting every case in full and explaining everything in full. You see in practice a lot of the time that skeleton arguments at their best are quite brief. But of course, the key is 
as we said earlier, that you know your facts behind that, so that if you are asked that detailed question on a particular point of view or a particular case, you're able to go to. But just try and keep it quite simple without being simplistic, if that makes sense. Hmm. Good advice there. And Aria, how about yourself? Anything on skeleton arguments? I mean, I think I think Rob covered it really. I mean, succinctness and simplicity are the are the buzzwords when it comes to a skeleton. There's no doubt about that. I mean, make sure you cover everything, but not in too much detail. So you hit everything, every sort of every aspect of law and every aspect of fact that's important to you. So it's all there, um, you know, skeletally, as it were. Uh, but but at the same time, don't. Uh, sort of drift into so much detail that it takes away from your oral submissions and you know you've got nothing left to say. Yeah precisely effectively the skeleton argument is the bones and your oral submissions are the the flesh that go on the bones in reality um, and that's the best way to, to think about it. And um, I would just say to add on to that apply the test and start out with the test and we I'm sure you've been told the same thing and from P that makes sure you set out what that test is from the very start so that it's very clear for you as well as anyone else exactly what you're trying to achieve out of those submissions. Don't get too lost in making points which might relate in some way. Stick to the test and then apply each of your various submissions to that test. Yes, good advice there. And just one final uh, point on mooting before we move on. Um, any advice for any students at all? Obviously, you've both been very successful in mooting. So do you have any sort of takeaway points for students when it comes to mooting? So I'll start with uh, Aria on this question. Um, well, I mean, my my main advice would be do it, uh, I think. And, and don't just do it once, um, because unless you're an absolute natural like Rob <laughs> over there, um, you will need to uh, sort of ease into it. You will be very, I mean, it's a terrifying thing the first time you do it. Um, and I'm sure Rob was no less terrified, even though he was very good at it. It's still, I mean, you still get nervous to this day when, you, when you're doing submission advocacy. It's, it's not easy to put yourself out there on a limb um, and convince someone that's usually, even in practice, is going to be far more senior and well-versed than you. Um, so I just think do it, do it often, build confidence and, uh, and know that it gets more fluent uh, the more you do it. Excellent. Um, Robert, any advice when it comes to mooting? Exactly the same, really. Just throw yourself in there. Don't be afraid. It's always, you're, you're always going to be nervous, but that first time you do it is going to be the hardest, I think, in that you've just got to try and break that barrier. And once you've seen it, once you've felt it, the experience of having those interventions coming towards you, it's always going to be tricky, but you learn how to, to deal with that slightly and you learn that it is possible to get through it and survive. Even if you don't always win, you know, there's, there's, you live to fight another day. And I think starting with that first moot is the critical thing. If you're not feeling confident, find a way of getting into it. Um, and there are obviously opportunities with, with speed mooting, I think perhaps being number one for that. Find a way in which allows you to just go for it yourself and give it a go. What's the worst that can happen? Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that, that's, that's one of the big things about speed mooting. You don't have to wait for your university to put you forward or be picked. You've got that opportunity to just enter the competition of your own free will. And I'm sure that that's something that both of you liked about that competition and that freedom to go for it. So it gives absolutely anyone uh, the chance to try out speed mooting. I think, I think that, and also just to add with the speed move, it, I mean, 
unless you are unlucky and you, you get knocked out in the first round, in which case you're always putting on sort of extra events for the students so it's worth their while. But the likelihood is you'll probably get through two, three rounds. Um, and and you, you've then been able to do the same move two, three times in a row under pressured conditions. So that kind of accelerates your experience in, in quite a short amount of time. So I think it's a perfect one. If you're going to do one, I'm not just saying this because it's your podcast, John. No, of if you're going to do one, um, the bang for your book choice really would be the NSM, definitely. Yeah, it's perfect. Because as you say, in three rounds, and three rounds could take you 90 minutes. You've done the equivalent yeah. of what could take you three months to try three different routing competitions. Absolutely, yeah. Um, okay, quick fire round. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you've both been to uh, sort of major competitions. What do you prefer, senior or junior council? Which role do you prefer? Tough questions. I don't think it makes a difference, to be honest yeah. with you, me think. It, it really doesn't. The temptation is to say senior council. The more you do, the more you I used to say, look, to my partner, whoever I was with, if it was that kind of competition, and um, you choose your ground, because I wanted them to be as comfortable as possible uh, with whatever they were doing, and then I'll argue anything. Um, mm. And I just used to prefer that um, method going around it. But you don't, I mean, sometimes you get slightly less time if you're junior counsel, but you often mm. then get a right of reply, because it's normally junior appellant uh, that gets the, like an Essex court. So I really, I think it's as, as broad as it is long in terms of muting. Yeah, certainly. How about you, Robert? Anything on that point? Well, I haven't done it yet. So you're going to have to ask me that question. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it's interesting to hear that, actually. It's, it, it must depend so much on the, on the particular moot and mm. when each party feels. I've got some experience in the preparation now for team moots. And you're often on different areas of the research and, and you, you grow as a team in those particular areas. So I think you've just got to find where you're most comfortable. And obviously in a team scenario, you know, going away from the individual context, it's about communicating your um, particular, you know, where you're feeling particularly confident, where you're feeling a little bit more cautious um, and just trying to be willing to work as a team and not let um, you know, individuals cause trouble there it's just trying to gel as a team and, and support each other yeah i think that's one of the hardest parts of you know two on two moots is that you have got that teamwork element you need to divide it equally and ensure that you're both sort of doing the work there the good thing with the speed moot is that everybody's an individual you're oh, responsible you. for your own work there <laughs> so uh, you fall on your own sword effectively <laughs> Um, sometimes with moot, you might find that the law is for you. You might find the law is against you. And of course, you're generally not judged on the law itself. You're judged on how well you argue the law. What do you prefer? Do you prefer having the law in your favour and really put, putting the points home? Or do you prefer having it against you so you've got more um, that you can distinguish or you've got to try and distinguish the law effectively? Which, which scenario do you prefer there? Well... David over Goliath, you've got to say. It's always yeah. and, um, I, I think it's, both are fun. In a, in a way, actually, and I'm trying not to avoid answering the question, but the nice thing about doing something like this is you experience both sides of the argument. Yeah. And you, even if there is one side which is becoming more clearly um, the more plausible, you can even start to mess around in your own mind which side you're actually persuaded by. Mm. Uh, when you hear some very good submissions from your you know your learned friends out there you, you yeah. think 
actually, am I right on that or not? So it's, um, I think, underdog, but often that can change in the course of a mood. Mm, certainly. Any thoughts on that, Aria? Yeah, I think if I had, I mean, I, I tend to agree with, uh, with what Rob said as well, but I think if I had to choose, um, and it wasn't a format like the NSM where you're sort of switching, mm. um, I actually think in a mood, uh, it's easy. It's easier to score points if the law's against you. Yeah. Because un unless it's really against you to the point where you can't make any credible points, um, it, which is would be unusual. That's probably a fairly mm. poorly written move if that's the case. But it's it, it, you can really stand out by being creative. I think. Yeah. Whereas if the law's for you, you kind of have to not put a foot wrong. Um, and I was always slightly better at being maybe a little bit out there and creative than I was at actually being sort of particularly flawless I wasn't very good at that at all I make many mistakes but you know maybe come up with that one little sort of analogy or nugget that would make the judge think okay I can kind of see what he's doing he's going to lose on the law still but at least it was a decent attempt so I don't think I don't you certainly shouldn't be worried if the law is against you in a move no I think I would agree and I used to find it more fun particularly when the law was against me because you'll trawl through the case or you'll be looking through the the comments and looking for any obiter comments that you can throw yeah. in that maybe support your your argument and looking for analogies as well. So I think I found that a little bit more fun. Um, Mining for gold, job. I used to call it. <laughs> Say it again? Mining for gold. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And one of the things with the, the national speed moves is we always try and make the problems as equal as possible. So we try and make them about 50-50 on the law. So that doesn't really become an issue. Okay. I think we've covered most things about mooting there, unless anyone's got any other comments about mooting. No, just just do it. Yeah, yeah. Support, <laughs> absolutely agree. You know, if you, if you want to, to go into this profession and become a solicitor advocate or a barrister, you've got to show that you've got that advocacy experience and that you're actually interested in the best way you can do it is by mooting. Definitely. Okay. Um, final thing is obviously you've both <laughs> been very successful throughout your time at university. Any words of wisdom for any students maybe who are in first, second year? looking to progress through um, any advice for what they should be doing while at university? I'll let Rob go first on this one. <laughs> yeah. I think of some words of wisdom. <laughs> That's why I let you go first. <laughs> I think one thing which it, it's obviously, it, it so depends on your style of learning. One thing that I found helpful, and this may be helpful to others who aren't already doing it, is flashcards. Um, there's plenty of apps that you can get now where you can you can make flashcards. It's just trying to find creative ways to get particularly the facts of cases um, in, ingrained in your mind and, and doing it in different ways than just trying to read from a book or regurgitate it. Um, I, another thing which I maybe it's a little bit more unique to, to someone as arcane as I am, but I find I can't really type things that much and learn them. It has to be handwritten mode. Mm. So there's nothing wrong with having um, a big pile of handwritten notes and just going through those again and again, just finding what works for you, but doing different things than just reading or just typing would be my approach to it. Certainly. And Aria, any last words of wisdom? I definitely agree with that last point. That's really important. Don't just read things. Um, whatever mechanism works for you but find one that that consolidates it in your mind you, you have to that's why mooting is great right because you use it and therefore you internalize it um, and and probably the only thing i'd add would be even if you're not doing mooting don't be afraid of reading judgments so so surprising how many law students seem to be like 
have you read the judgment and it's like a seminal one you know like Caparo or something now <laughs> don't don't just take it from textbooks because they are someone's edited version of that judgment and and at the end of the day whether it's academia or any form of practice you're going to have to get used to reading judgments and it is a particular skill I think um, especially on the longer judgments sort of be able to glance and skim through and get to the meat of it and um, so just really embrace reading the case law. Great advice there from both of you. Well, I think that brings us up towards the end of the first ever podcast. I would like to thank both of you for your time tonight. And um, if you've enjoyed these podcasts, hopefully we should have more coming soon. Um, so keep an eye out for those. Um, for anyone who's interested in mooting, here at Speed Mooting, we run regular competitions, both in terms of speed moots and other forms of advocacy as well. So check out our website, uh, join our mailing list on the website and um, keep your eyes out for lots of competitions throughout 2021. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Thanks, John. Fantastic. Thank you, John. And good luck to everybody. Starting moots, continuing moots. It's all, it's all great experience. So, so get in with it.